Welcome to The Informationist, the podcast that breaks down complex financial concepts into simple, fast, and easy to understand terms. We realize that financial jargon can be overwhelming, so we make it our mission to bring you accessible information, helping you to use financial terms and concepts to your advantage. Stay updated by subscribing to The Informationist podcast today. In this episode, we explore the whirlwind world of hyperinflation, what it is, how it wreaks havoc on economies, and the countries that have fallen prey to its devastating effects. We'll dive into how markets react during hyperinflation and discuss the potential for the U.S. dollar, the world's reserve currency, to hyperinflate. Finally, we'll discuss strategies and steps you can take to safeguard your assets and protect yourself in the unlikely event of such economic turbulence. So grab your headphones and settle in as the informationist unpacks hyperinflation nice and easy, as always today. Hyperinflation. Quite a bit of the world experiencing high inflation over the past two years are starting to hear the term hyperinflation thrown around quite a bit recently, especially as we see signs of some currency beginning to hyperinflate today. And plenty of people are wondering, could the U.S. dollar hyperinflate too? But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's start at the beginning. First things first, what exactly is hyperinflation? Well, hyperinflation is when a currency experiences extremely high and accelerating rate of inflation, leading to a rapid erosion of its purchasing power. As a result, the value of the currency falls so quickly that it becomes practically worthless, and people must resort to using alternative forms of money or bartering for goods and services. Though incredibly subjective, the academic definition for hyperinflation is when a country experiences inflation rates above 50% per month, not before that. So 49% equals regular inflation and 50% equals hyperinflation. Uh-huh. In any case, it's hard to discuss hyperinflation without examples of the Weimar Republic being raised. And you've likely seen charts and graphs of the Weimar German mark hyperinflating before. If not, there's one included in the show notes. But for those who are just listening, I'll describe it here. Basically, it shows how many Reich marks each gold mark was worth between 1918 and 1923. And while volatile during the whole period from 1918 to 1921, each gold mark was worth, on average, somewhere between 1 and 10 Reich marks. Then, when hyperinflation hit, it skyrocketed higher over the next three years until each gold mark became worth 100 Reich marks, then 1,000, then 100,000. And in late 1923, just three months after hitting 1 million, each gold mark became worth over a billion Reich marks, a full and breathtakingly parabolic debasing of a currency. Hyperinflation. But what caused it? Simple. Money printing. Well, 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 where have we heard that term before? See, in order to pay for war reparations imposed by the Treaty of Versailles, the Weimar Republic German government began printing excessive amounts of money. This ultimately led to a collapse in value of the German mark, as you can see in that chart above, with prices doubling every few days by the end of 1923. In a span of just a few years, a gold-backed currency that was worth one paper mark was suddenly worth one billion of them. And so, the Weimar Republic mark was eventually replaced with a new currency, the Renton mark, which was backed by real estate assets. As for causes, hyperinflation is basically the result of poor monetary and fiscal policy, leading to large budget deficits, government spending far more than it makes, which eventually requires excessive money printing. It has to print money to buy its own bonds to keep the debt trade going. And this leads to a total collapse of confidence in the currency. I mean, who wants to hold a currency that's rapidly devaluing? And finally, a collapse of the currency itself. In short, 
Poor fiscal policy leads to budget deficits, which leads to money printing, which leads to the collapse of confidence in a currency, which ultimately leads to a total collapse of the currency. You may now be asking, where else does this happen? Can it happen again? And could it happen to the US dollar too? Let's answer those one by one. First, hyperinflation has in fact occurred in a number of currencies in modern history. For instance, during the breakup of Yugoslavia in 1992-1994, the government resorted to printing money to finance war efforts and social programs. This led to an inflation rate of over 300 million percent per month, and it ended with the introduction of a new currency, the convertible dinar. In Zimbabwe, from 2007 to 2009, reckless monetary policies, including massive money printing to finance budget deficits, led to hyperinflation of a staggering 89.7 sextillion percent per month. That's an 897 followed by 21 zeros of inflation per month. You may have seen photos of a hyperinflated Zimbabwe currency like the one in the show notes, a $100 trillion bill issued by the Central Bank of Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe eventually abandoned its currencies and adopted a multi-currency system, primarily using the U.S. dollar. The worst inflation ever recorded occurred in Hungary in 1946, where after World War II, the Hungarian government printed endless amounts of money to finance reconstruction efforts and repay war debts. The result? Prices in Hungary doubled every 15 hours. This means a Hungarian pengo lost over 90% of its purchasing power every four days. Because it's so hard to even conceptualize, let's put it in theoretical pricing reality. So that means a gallon of gas that costs $4 today would cost over $8,000 after a week and $112 trillion after a month. Groceries that cost $120 today would cost almost a quarter of a million dollars after a week and $336 trillion after a month. Rent of $1,500 today? That's $3 million after a week and $4.2 quadrillion in a month. Hard to even conceptualize with numbers right there in front of you. In the end, Hungary introduced a new currency, the foreign, which was pegged to, you got it, the U.S. dollar. In some countries where inflation is currently raging out of control are Argentina, Lebanon, and Venezuela, where rates are being reported at over 100%, 250%, and 500% respectively. There's little doubt that each will fall victim to the academic definition of hyperinflation soon. But let's look next at what happens to markets before, during, and after hyperinflation. It would seem to reason that certain markets fluctuate wildly due to hyperinflation, but there's an evolution to the fluctuations that we should look at to understand what we can do to protect ourselves in the event of hyperinflation of our own currencies. The domestic stock, housing, and precious metals markets become extremely volatile, especially when priced in hyperinflating currencies. So let's break it down. Before hyperinflation, Stock markets initially may rise as investors seek to hedge against inflation by investing in companies that hold real assets or have pricing power. However, the stock market can become increasingly volatile as inflation expectations grow and uncertainty increases. Home prices, they may initially increase due to inflation expectations and the increased cost of building materials. However, demand may decline as uncertainty grows. Hard assets like gold, silver, and other commodities often become more desirable as investors seek to own assets valuable in any currency. Then during hyperinflation, stock markets become highly volatile with periods of rapid growth followed by sharp declines. The real value of stocks adjusted for inflation decrease significantly, and many companies will fail due to economic challenges from hyperinflation, including reduced purchasing power, higher input costs, wage problems, foreign exchange impacts, etc. 
Home prices in nominal terms may rise, but their real value, adjusted for inflation, likely declines. Still, prices remain somewhat stable as people seek ways to protect their money by buying hard assets, and foreign investors buy at a decreased exchange rate. Hard assets retain their value during hyperinflation as they're seen as a store of wealth. Demand for gold, silver, and other commodities surge in the region along with the prices for them. After hyperinflation, as a country stabilizes its currency and implements economic reform, stock markets can start to recover. However, this process can take time and is marked by significant volatility. The housing market can also stabilize as new currency or monetary reforms are adopted, and as the economy recovers, home prices may begin to rise again at a more sustainable pace. The outsized demand for hard assets declines as stability returns and investors regain confidence in the new currency and financial system, but hard monies retain their global purchasing power. One key to note in all of this is that countries with hyperinflation typically have a collapse of confidence in their banking system and a run on the banks. Investors seeking to buy hard assets withdraw as much capital as they can before banks freeze the accounts and refuse to distribute cash to customers. We've seen this exact thing happen in Lebanon this year, with irate customers resorting to robbing their own banks in order to get their own money back. Any way you cut it, hyperinflation is a painful currency phenomenon that leads to serious civil unrest and financial devastation for the average citizen. Unfortunately, no single country is immune to the phenomenon. So does that mean the U.S. dollar could hyperinflate too? Will it? Well, let's be clear. While it's a non-zero chance that the U.S. dollar hyperinflates in the near future, my personal belief is that the U.S. dollar will be one of, if not the last currency to hyperinflate in the world. And even then, it's a long, long way off, again, in my opinion. Did you notice the examples above how a number of the currencies that hyperinflated eventually created a currency that was pegged to the U.S. dollar? This means that the currency exchange rate does not fluctuate against the U.S. dollar and is essentially fixed to it, moving with it lock and step. The only way to do this is to maintain a constant supply of the currency and not print excessive amounts of it due to fiscal deficits or other problems. This also means the country will issue a significant portion of their debt and hence reserves in the U.S. dollar because of its stability and liquidity. This keeps global demand for the U.S. dollar high, and as more and more currencies hyperinflate in the future, many folding into the U.S. dollar, demand for dollars simply grows. But if you see me write about the U.S. debt problem, the so-called debt spiral, you know this simply cannot last forever. If you've not seen that article yet and want to read more about it, you can find a link to it in the show notes. TLDR, like a deadly financial game of musical chairs, the U.S. Treasury will keep playing the music, issuing debt and monetizing that debt as investors slowly wise up to the risks of holding the so-called riskless U.S. Treasuries and buy hard assets instead. The music will keep playing until there are no seats left. And when the music stops, if you're left standing with no seat, no hard asset, tough luck, kid, you've been devalued, broke. The U.S. dollar gets reset and the game starts all over again. So how can you protect yourself? I've been talking quite a bit about it recently, and as we've outlined above, one of the best ways to protect your hard-earned money is to own hard assets. Assets like gold, silver, Bitcoin, and yes, real estate too. I personally own all of these things as long-term investments, stores of value. How much you own is personal and up to you and your financial advisor. But as we saw above in times of hyperinflation, no matter where you live, buying these assets is essential to protecting your money. One thing to note here is that it's also essential to buy physical assets, not just paper contracts of them. Owning a house, you have the land, the dwelling, the physical property. Owning gold or silver coins, you have the physical hard monies. Owning Bitcoin in cold storage, where you manage and maintain the keys, is hard money. 
But owning a gold paper ETF, i.e. one that's not exchangeable for physical gold, only theoretical paper derivative of it, it's not hard money. It's an IOU. Same thing goes for Bitcoin owned and held on a trading exchange. These IOUs will be the first to evaporate in the times of a crisis. So please be super aware of what you own and how you hold it. It may be the difference between having a seat or being left standing when the music does in fact stop. And the music eventually always stops. The information in this newsletter is not intended to constitute individual investment advice and is not designed to meet your personal financial situation. It is provided for information purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. We strongly advise you discuss your investment options with your financial advisor prior to making any investments, including whether any investment is suitable for your specific needs. Subscribe to the Informationist newsletter to stay informed, break down information barriers, and learn about financial concepts quickly and easily at www.jameslavish.com.